Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Genocide Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Hope Wong, and today we'll be talking to Dr. Sabina Hildebrandt about her book, The Anatomy of Murder, Ethical Transgressions, and Anatomical Science During the Third Reich. Dr. Hildebrandt, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Dr. Hildebrandt, I wonder if you could begin our interview by telling us a bit about yourself. So uh, I'm uh, trained as a physician in Germany, didn't do much clinical research, uh, did wet lab research in rheumatology for a while, did a postdoc in the United States in the late 1980s, and then returned to Germany to raise my family. And then uh, through my husband's work, we uh, ended up in Ann Arbor, Michigan in the early... uh, 2002, around then, um, and I start. I had been um, an anatomy educator before in Germany, and there I started working more in anatomy education, including in the dissection labs. Uh, so I was basically on my third career uh, when I um, was confronted with a question: um, What I and I was interested coming late to anatomy uh, in life. Uh, one of the questions that I was interested in was where do the bodies come from that we work in an anatomical education? Absolutely. And it's a very interesting topic. And I know you go into the history of um, that process in your book. So just to add more information for our audience, how exactly did this project start or what drove you to actually research the topic on the Third Reich and the the uh, anatomical science during that process? Well, I'm born not that long after the end of the Second World War in Germany with parents who were young children during the Third Reich and were part of, uh, with with their family, part of this whole experience on the perpetrator side of things. I grew up in a Germany where there were no Jewish neighbors, uh, where uh, certain things were kept quite... Uh, silenced and secret when it came to certain topics. There were um, there were voids in the landscape where synagogues used to be. So there was always an interest for me to understand what happened to our Jewish neighbors, uh, what happened to my family. Uh, and when I came to into my studies of medicine in the late seventies, early eighties, the first studies came out on medicine during the Third Reich. So I read these avidly, and I thought I was well-informed, um, only to find out when I started on my third career in anatomy that there was a history that I had never heard of. In 2005, a colleague at the University of Michigan asked me what I thought about the Perkopf Atlas, uh, and I had never heard of the Perkov Atlas and was highly embarrassed. And that's when I started researching the topic of this atlas, which turned out to be that uh, Perkov was an Austrian Nazi who had worked, uh, among others, with bodies 
of um, persons who had been executed by the Nazi regime. So I got interested in the topic and wrote my first paper on that subject. That's amazing. And so I know you discuss your personal connection to Germany and, you know, through your research as a medical professional. Um, But could you talk more about the specific research process? Where in your medical education did learning about history come in? Because this is such an interdisciplinary project. And, you know, you don't hear too often about medical professionals jumping into the historical field. So what made you feel like that was something you could do or something you'd want to do? Did anyone reach out to you to inspire you to do this? Uh, I, As I said, I'd always been interested in history and also in questions of medical ethics that started even with my own dissection course in uh, anatomy in Germany back then when uh, my fellow students and I were gathering we weren't learning so much the structure of the human body, but how, how, coping with death and dying. And we had uh, we met to discuss these topics. So I've always been interested in that area. And then also I should say in uh, Germany has a, uh, a tradition of connecting the history of medicine with the ethics of medicine. So there, there were many departments of uh, history and medicine and ethics of medicine uh, nowadays they tend to be bioethics departments at German universities but at the time it was more historically um, uh, oriented ethics of medicine so these were simply interests of mine and I thought uh, and I saw that they actually applied in my new- newly chosen career in anatomy where I found out that uh, when I came to the U.S., um, not all bodies were those of body donors. There were also bodies of um, of, of of persons who had uh, were unclaimed, and I uh, became interested in um, looking at that at, at that connection. Um, uh, also about the use of, of bodies of executed persons in the United States, which was anathema to me, but seemed to be okay with some of my anatomy colleagues. So these questions always came together for me. What I was doing in the anatomy lab uh, together with what had happened historically. And uh, I couldn't find easy, easy, couldn't easily find answers. And so actually I set out to find them. That's so interesting. And I guess... Building off of that, because you struggled with finding answers and this is what launched your research, what do you think was the biggest challenge you faced while working on this book and going through the research process? Um, Interestingly enough, uh, the research was easy to do. You just had, you know, you just had to come up with the idea of seeing the void in in the literature um, it was easy to fill that gap with a study. So I had learned scientific thinking and I applied and scientific research. I had done wet lab research and published. So I knew how to write and I knew how to do research and I applied that to history. So I gathered data and that was relatively simple. So others had actually started working on this question of the history of the anatomical departments in Germany, but there were only a few um, studies at uh, at uh, various at maybe a handful of anatomical departments in Germany. So I reached out to these colleagues and discussed with them uh, how they came up with their uh, material and uh, 
And, um, and I looked around and, uh, you know, when you look closely, then there, there actually was a lot of material in the literature. And I then asked my own questions. One of the colleagues had found that during the Second World War, German anatomists published papers that uh, explicitly mentioned the use of bodies of executed persons. So for me, the question arose whether there was a new thing under the Nazis, which it wasn't. Uh, I also wanted to know whether similar things happened in the English language literature, which is the only other language that I can easily access. So, I, you know, that was a study that I did where I looked at thousands of papers. And I could do that because the University of Michigan, just as the Harvard Library System, they have a vast array of, of publications from that time that I could easily access. So one question I wanted to add was, you referenced the great silence in your book, um, referring to the lack of research or even just the discussion of this topic. Did you face any pushback in your department or amongst colleagues in your field in pursuing this research at all? No, no. Uh, I had no pushback, uh, not compared to what some of my older colleagues experienced uh, one of the pioneers in the field in Germany is Gerhard Aumüller from Marburg. And he was told by his colleagues at the time in the 1990s that he shouldn't work on the subject because he was studying the nest. Nothing like that ever happened to me. The only I got some skepticism from very old colleagues who were pupils of the anatomists that I was writing about. But basically, uh, once I presented my data... And that's the good thing when you work with good scientists. They're convinced by data. So when I showed them my historical data, they, were, they, they realized that, yeah, indeed, there was a history of ethical transgressions. They simply didn't know about that history because it wasn't talked about. It was silenced, actively silenced. Amazing. Um, so some of this material, I would assume, is quite draining for some people to research. Um, did you? How did you navigate this material while maintaining either a level of objectivity or just actually just getting through the material itself? Well, I'm at the distance. There's the Atlantic between me and Germany. Uh, so that makes certain things easier. Um, and also... Um, for me, it is easier to to fill this void in our historical knowledge than that not fill it. I really felt this void. I needed to know. And mm-hmm. that's what, what's always been driving me forward. Emotionally difficult for me uh, were other types of studies that I've done later, uh, um, uh, um, uh, uh, biographical work on, on victims uh, when I got into contact with families. So uh, I have done that only very rarely. And that's a much more difficult work. So if we could briefly talk about the book itself, um, if you could give a broad overview just for our audience so they know more about the book and can look into it further. Could you do that, a brief overview? Sure. Yeah. So basically, The Anatomy of Murder is the story about ethical transgressions in the anatomical sciences in Nazi Germany at the time. Uh, It uh, starts with an overview over the historiography of medicine in the Third Reich. Um, uh, Basically, it talks about that silence, which is a common known uh, fact in Germany in general, in medicine specifically, 
Um, and then I talk about the, uh, the uh, placement of anatomical science within uh, the German uh, medicine at the time. Uh, I talk about the connections between the anatomists and politics. I look at the political spectrum of the anatomists themselves, some of whom were convinced Nazis, others, actually quite a large group, were uh, were persecuted by the Nazi regime and were forced to emigrate because they were of Jewish descent or political oppositionals. Um, So I look at that whole history. I look at the Society for Anatomy in Germany, the Anatomische Gesellschaft. And from there, I then actually look at the uh, body procurement um, for anatomical uh, uh, teaching and research at the time. And uh, I, I point out how that body procurement, the traditional body procurement that was regulated by laws, changed under the Nazis in that it uh, included increasing numbers of victims of the Nazi regimes. Uh, There were victims among persons who were killed in the psychiatric institutions, in the so-called euthanasia programs. There were Jewish citizens who committed suicide in high numbers. There were political prisoners who died in the prisons or were murdered. Um, actively in the prison system. And then there were, of course, all these persons who uh, died under the conditions of the increasing network of camps, not just the centralized concentration camps, but also the decentralized camps for forced laborers and uh, prisoners of war. And then, of course, we see the rising number of executions. And here it is important to note that traditionally the bodies of executed prisoners had been the first source for anatomical bodies in the whole world. So the first laws that talk about bodies for anatomical uh, dissection go back to the 1300s in Europe, and they, they refer to bodies of executed prisoners. So that's a traditional source used all over the world, including in Germany. So in 1933, when the Nazis came into power, they um, uh, they basically uh, took over these older Prussian laws mostly and uh, over the time changed them so that we now see an exponential rise of executions in the court system. So these are not people who were killed in the camps. These are persons who were killed after court trials uh, in the civilian courts and in the military courts. And these bodies were all amenable to anatomical use in, in education and in research. And the anatomists used these bodies avidly because they were, quote-unquote, fresh bodies uh, and bodies of young persons. So they were extremely uh, 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 desirable for anatomists to use in education and research. And then when I, after I look at that history... Uh, I go into the details of anatomists who from 1942 on then not only used the bodies of the dead, but also the bodies who who were planned on being killed for purposes of anatomy, either after manipulating them with uh, vitamin C, uh, like Max Clara did, or these were persons who were already in the concentration camps And then uh, we know of two anatomists who used them for anatomical purposes. They selected them and killed them for anatomical purposes. And then I look at the history 
of this these types of ethical transgressions and how they how they shine a light on current practices in anatomical um, in anatomical education and research nowadays. Amazing. So, as a medical professional yourself. Um, how have you or your department come to terms with the ethical issues of your predecessors? Do you have any projects that you're working on to educate your contemporaries at all? Yeah, I have a running series of lectures that I offer to my students at least once a year. My students have the option to to attend one of my lectures on Nazi anatomy. Uh, I speak on this topic wherever I'm invited uh, I've created um, uh, modules on the subject uh, that can be downloaded online uh, for anybody who wants to use them. I'm, I'm working on a new set of modules with anatomical colleagues uh, who look also at other questions of ethics and anatomical education. Here in the U.S., we are, we are very much interested in um, um, discussing the uh, the uh, situation with uh, for-profit body donation in the United States. These are uh, institutions uh, that are sometimes called body brokers that have created private body donation companies uh, and basically offer uh, families uh, to take care of the bodies of their loved ones. The families think they're doing a good thing, but ultimately these bodies are being sold uh, in the United States and, and uh, worldwide for postgraduate education and these companies make a huge profit and they basically they um they uh, prey on the indigent so yes there is a whole array of work, work that is currently ongoing in the area of ethics and anatomy and uh thank i am thankful to say that i am working with an international group of colleagues uh that is interested in these subjects and we're um trying to uh, create an awareness among our colleagues. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so what have been some of the effects or have you seen any as a result of your book specifically? Are more departments assessing their ethics or connections to these practices um, just based off of the research coming out in your book or have they been working on this over the years with as also? So I, I'm collaborating with uh, with uh, groups in Europe on investigations. Uh, one just ended in Göttingen on an embryo collection at the uh, Göttingen Anatomy Institute um, uh, with a group in Innsbruck, who is in Austria, who has been looking at the history of the anatomy there. And I'm colla- I've been invited to collaborate on a huge investigation of the uh, in Strasbourg, where the Germans had a university from 1941 to 1944, um, and where August Hirt, the most notorious murderer among the anatomists, actually was the director of the anatomical department. So there are many ongoing investigations. I'm not sure that my book influenced that, but I would say my book is part of a movement to create more clarity on this history. Amazing. Um, aside from the projects that you've already mentioned, are you working on anything else right now? So a new project that has been uh, actually initiated by our medical students here at Harvard Medical School is last year they came up to us and said, well, why is it 
that you show uh, in anatomical representations in your lectures only white male young guys. Uh, and I said, well, it has to do with the fact that these are the materials that we have available. And uh, the student said, well, we feel that we are not represented here. So they have now uh, started a, a new um, project that, that they call Addressing Bias in Medical Education by Inclusive Anatomical Representation. And that's a st- project that's just starting out. We are collecting uh, new materials for anatomical representation. I think it will be part of a long-term research project that needs to be done, whether by myself or by somebody else. We'll have to see. We are collecting inclusive anatomical representation, and hopefully in the future we will have, we've just, these students have just been granted funds from our dean here at Harvard Medical School um, to uh, maybe even create new illustrations together with medical illustrators. We'll have to see. This is a subject that, uh, this is a project that is only just getting started. That's really exciting, and I'm happy to hear that the medical students are taking your lead and trying to work on more research oh, in this the field. students are leading me. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's the beauty of working in anatomy. Uh, students are fresh uh, from wherever they come from, uh, first year of medical school, and they come with these enormously important ideas. And as long as we listen as, te- as educators, we can learn from them all along. And we're basically ahead of the game in terms of uh, creating an inclusive environment in anatomy, which is all the more important seeing what's happening in the United States currently here in June 2020. Absolutely. So as we're getting close to the end of our interview, what lesson do you hope readers or our listeners will gain from this book? What do you want them to walk away from this with? It's important to know the history because it shines a light on what we're currently doing and what will be done in the future. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Hildebrandt, we've taken up a bit of your time. I want to thank you for being on our show today. I really enjoyed it and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for having me and for giving this uh, top, important topic uh, venue. Absolutely.